Hey gang, welcome to a very special end of the year edition of the No Persinium Podcast, your guide to immersive entertainment, brought to you by our friends at Drafty. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from Los Angeles. Today on the show, we are checking in with the curators of the various No Persinium newsletters to check out on their best immersive memories of 2016. But that's not all. We've also got messages from around the country from many of you who listen to the show, and we're going to be uh, peppering those into the segments we have recorded. But first, before we get to any of that, do you do theatrical or event design work? Looking for a computer-aided design program that's built for the work you do, like lighting, projection, and sound? Then you should check out our friends at Drafty. Drafty is a computer-aided design program built from the ground up for the unique needs of theatrical designers, assistants, and technicians by an actual theatrical designer. Lighting, sound, and projection design are all supported, and it's priced to be affordable because the designer who makes it knows exactly the kind of challenges you face firsthand. Find out if Drafty can help you work your magic at drafty-app.com. Thank you, Lucas, for being our sponsor for uh, the bulk of 2016. It's it's really helped us launch forward and get a lot going on. Also, definitely need to thank all of our Patreon backers, uh, without whom uh, the show would, would not exist at all. So never forget that. More on that. Oh, oh, oh and, you know, we have a new one, uh, Stuart Laidlaw, who I run into at shows all the time. Stuart, thank you for jumping in and being a new backer. Didn't want to forget that. Um, this is usually the part of the show where we do news and notes, but this is the end of the year, and this is the best of, and I kind of feel like people might check in with this at another time. So we'll be back next week with a normal episode, or at least with a news and notes mini-sode, because it's end of the year and, and, and everyone's run away. Um, so if you're looking for that, check out the newsletters and check out next week's episode. But right now, we're going to race to cyberspace, which I guess we're already in, so that our man in New York City, Zay Amsbury, and I can talk about his best of 2016. Hey, Zay. Hey, Noah. Uh, late at night we're talking over the radio so I that's true well it's it's late at night for me for you it's like yeah, it's like 7 30 yeah. but it feels late it's the longest night of the year we're doing this on the and longest the darkest night, night in 500 years no. right actually i'm so glad you brought that up because a lot of people have been spreading that around that article is from 2010 oh man and i want to make a point here to everyone who's listening because well you, you just you just pushed a button sorry no um, i'm let, let me push buttons yeah um you know what uh, we talk a lot these days about fake news. Yeah. But let me tell you, stopping fake news, it starts with you. And I mean, <laughs> and I mean, me, Noah. And I jumped in on some people on Facebook, and at least one of them was like, Mom, why are you being mean to me? And somebody was like being flippant, and it's like, oh, whatever, you've got your facts, I've got mine. And I wanted to go even harder and be like, <laughs> no, this is how we've got into the mess that we're currently in sociologically. Well, that it's, it's funny, but don't it's my... to read past a headline. Well, it's funny because because my blind spot is definitely science news. Yeah, if it's if it's something um, if it's something political or like an event that happened to people, then I will 
read the article, try to understand, and look at sources. If it's science, I'm like, oh, wow, it's the darkest night of the year. That is, that's amazing. Click. Yeah. Well, and 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 here's here's really what's up with that is that it, it started showing up. Uh, it appeared twice in my Facebook feed at the same time. They did that double up thing, mm-hmm. and I was and first I was like, oh wow, that's really interesting, and I was like, wait a second, Annalee quit io9 which is what what the main thing was circulating well over a year ago mm. what the hell is up with this so i clicked through and i saw the date stamp which was 2010 and the irony is the very first comment on the piece is from annalee herself in 2014 about how everyone should check the date stamp because wow. this is the second time this thing has rolled around and yeah. i'll see this sometimes where people there, there was a tragedy um in Africa, like like I think when the mall got shot up, that one, mm-hmm. uh, and I remember when it first happened, and like suddenly people were like sharing that thing again, like six months, nine months later, going like, why isn't the mainstream media talking about this? And it's like because it happened nine months ago. That's why it's not on CNN right now because you didn't check the date stamp. And and as a journalist by trade. Sorry, everyone who's going like, damn, no, you're lecturing us. It's like, yeah, no, I lecture, am lecturing preach, you. preach. Because, because it's up to us, right? Like, there's what we've learned this year uh, in terms of um, the, the flow of the force is that there are no Jedi coming out to save us. No one is going to help us except ourselves. And it starts by being skeptical consumers of media. Um, and that means... And that means even stuff that sounds cool. In fact, especially stuff that sounds cool. And I do it all the time too. I'm I'm super guilty. And and I, I will tell you guys this much, and, and I'll cop to something about what we do at NoPro on the Twitter feed, is that I will skim every article I pump into the Twitter feed just to make sure that it's not some flaming piece of garbage, but I don't necessarily read it with a fine-tooth comb. So caveat emptor, on the links that I re-push out, I try to stay, if it's from a entity that we don't know, like if it's Broadway World or something, boom, pop it in. If it's New York mm. Times, yeah, not a problem. Not going to be scared about that. If it's some rando blog I've never heard of, that one I'm going to kind of read deeper. If it's a local news thing, those I actually usually also vet because like, oh, here's a show in Louisiana. And I'm like, okay. And usually there I'm just like, oh, I don't know if they know, if they agree with me on what immersive means, but there. So anyway, yeah. But it is it is solstice. It is the longest night of the year. Um, that is true. Sorry. Apologies, everyone. That was the first five minutes of our best of 2016. What a warning. What a warning in the opener. <laughs> Gravy. <laughs> I was so angry with some people who were angry with me. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if you think I'm mansplaining to you right now. Like, this is, this was all of us. We're all on the hook for this stuff, right? We're all on the hook for it. Um, and that's actually the funniest thing is Facebook could fix a lot of the problems if they just automatically surfaced the, this article was published on as part of as part of what gets shared out right it's like you realize this news is from six months ago before you share right that would solve that would solve like half of it i bet anyway speaking of things that are six months old um (laughs) or older i try i try anyway uh we're here to talk about your favorite 2016 immersive memories zay so uh i wonder if you could uh take us down memory lane here 
Sure. So I was I was looking at this. Um, I was looking at all of the old no pros to sort of look throughout the year at all the stuff that had happened. And there are, I guess there are three things that really jump out at me, um, uh, all for very different reasons. One of them is um, this thing called the Great American Casket Company, which was, um, there is a cemetery in Brooklyn, in Park Slope or South Slope, depending on what kind of broker you have. Um, and it's <laughs> immense. I mean, it's huge. I mean, inside of it, there are hills, there are gigantic mausoleums, there are, um, there are, there's a lake. Um, it is a wonderful, wonderful environment. And last Halloween, and then again, this, or around last Halloween, then again, around this Halloween, there's this thing called Into the Veil, I believe it's called. Although don't, um, don't quote me on that because Noah might track you down and talk at you for five minutes about it. But I'm pretty sure it was Into the Veil. And, uh, and it was lovely. It was lovely. And now they have this, and then this thing, um, um, in June called the Great American Casket Company, which was put together by the Bread Arts Collective, um, who are an immersive uh, performance group in New York City. And it was wonderful. And, and the thing that struck me about it was the way it, it was an all ages event. So Into the Veil was something that happened in the evening. There was alcohol. It was at night. You went into mausoleums. It was sort of creepy and wonderful. The American Casket Company was framed as an all-ages thing, so um, anybody could go. And the way it, st it starts out during the day, and then it ends after sunset. And the first half was doofy. I mean, it was really kind of, kind of doofy. It was like, if you've ever seen... Um, I don't know, San Francisco Mime, Mime Company or like uh, those friends oh, of yours yeah. who went to Del Arte and started uh, a Del Arte troupe together. Um, it was kind of a Wouldn't long... Wouldn't that be great if that was the actual name of a Del Arte troupe? Or is that I, an actual name of a Del Arte I, troupe? I, I, don't, I don't know if they have a sense of irony on that level. Okay. Um, I would hope... That, man, that's sad if they don't have that sense of irony. I don't know. Some of them do. I don't know. I mean, I mean you're, talking to someone who, you're talking to someone who, who worked for... The guy who ran the Blue Lake Dollar Day Company for like fifteen years, and yeah, yeah, that's true. yeah. Okay. he has amazing strengths. But anyhow, the point, the point <laughs> is, I don't work for him anymore. He's an amazing oh, yeah, guy. No, you're saying. Um, yeah. But then it changed. Like there was a moment where you literally move from the world of the living to the world of the dead. Oh wow! And it happened right um, at dusk. And you move from one a more sort of family friendly part of the part of the cemetery to a darker part of the cemetery, a more, one with older mausoleums, creepier mausoleums. Um, and that transition was amazing. There was like there were two different pieces. Um, and then there That's, was a moment. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say, like, I was reflecting on that for a second. I just did a show this weekend that that similarly was sort of broken into two parts. Mm -hmm. right? And I think there's something, it, it feels like there's, there is some untapped potential there in making very clear act changes, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like so much, so much attention is spent on like building a world and then like tonally winds up kind of being similar. 
And yet here, here you yeah. are talking about this, like, and then everything changed. Right. Um, and, and it's something that, that I think that like, um, something that's purely promenade is a hard time or promenade influence is a hard time pulling off. Um, uh, I mean, it's like about something that came out last year, like a, a sort of promenade piece that pulls that off, um, is the grand paradise where right? it works through all of these different tones and um, moments, but all in the same space. But Great American Casket Company, um, it, it had just spectacular moments. There was a moment where um, you are you're following a character and and you and you wish at a certain point. And you're by a lake and it's it's dark and, or dusk, sort of late dusk, and you put your wishes in um, this fire pit. And then there's a story about about a whale, and the fact that the whale is there is sort of heavily foreshadowed throughout the entire piece. Um, but they made a puppet whale erupt in a lake in a cemetery in Brooklyn. It was one of those moments where the entire audience. I'm getting sh- I'm getting chills right now. I'm getting chills all up and down my arm, and and I'm I'm like a like I love. Moby Dick. I'm a like Leviathan, giant creatures underwater kind of person, and it was so moving. And then it ended in this amazing puppet show um, in one of the uh, in one of the churches that that or, or the church that's on the grounds, and uh, it was just spectacular. I mean, it just demonstrated such a broad range of a performance vocabulary and tone and storytelling style, um, and it was just really. Uh, uh, memorable. That sounds beautiful. Yeah, it was really great. What uh, what else what else makes for a great twenty sixteen? Um, so, so Great American Casket Company. As much as much as I loved it, its elements were not. Um, uh, I, I I wouldn't look at it and say, oh, this is the future, uh, or this is where immersive theater seems to be going in in New York City. But these next two things, to me, really are. Um, and one of them is Whisper Lodge, which was uh, done by uh, Melinda Lau um, and Andrew Hopfner. Andrew Hopfner um, of Houseworld uh, repute. Um, and Whisper Lodge. Andrew's uh, best of uh, 2016 later on. Oh, on nice. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and this thing they did of taking the online culture and experience of autonomous sensory meridian response or ASMR and turning it into a immersive theatrical experience was amazing partially because just in execution um, I'm getting this this tingly feeling in the pit of my stomach right now because just remembering um, the sensory experience of it but I think there's also a way in which um, because sometimes people talk about immersive theater being a thing that combats the onlineiness of our lives um, that brings us into the felt moment um, as opposed to uh, mediates everything in a sort of like Deborian way. Um, and Whisper Lodge sort of t- 
pour this online experience into real life. Um, it was kind of a, I mean, people think of, of the new aesthetic, um, meaning, um, that way of like how the, how the digital breaks into the real as like, you know, like, uh, I don't know, pixelated paintings on Yosemite, sitting on half dome in Yosemite or something like that. But this really was an online experience that became real or not. I'm not, I don't want to say online experiences aren't real. I don't actually believe that, but, but into the felt physical present moment um and it felt very now to me it felt very look forwardy to me um and i think that um that andrew really is so- someone who just through his sort of basic instincts and curiosities is um is bringing together a lot of different elements that feel very now for me for immersive theater in new york city I'm still so jealous that you've gotten to experience his work. I mean, I've met Andrew, thanks to you, and had fantastic conversations with him. Yeah, we had burgers at that weird place in Brooklyn. Burgers at the weird place in Brooklyn. I had coffee with him, like, pretty much the next day. Uh, You know, we've chatted a lot online, and I still haven't gotten to see any of his work, just Mm. because it it wasn't around when I was was back there. Um, and And I don't know when I'm going to get to. Uh, so, but I'm glad that you get to experience it. Um, even if I remain a little jealous, <laughs> I tried to ASMR that as much as I could. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I mean, it's, it's all, it's all coming back and you, you, you should make an annual trek here to New York, my friend. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, it's on the wish list. I'll put yeah. it that way. Um, if only Amazon wish lists put airplane tickets. And no, well, just just time it out when when um, when either Whisper Lodge or House World come back, which are both are coming back. Yeah, no that that would actually it, that would actually be when I would 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 aim for it. So we'll we'll see. Things not not things are not impossible. So what's uh, what's the other one? So uh, actually, there are two. I totally forgot there were two. Um, oh, so um, one of the other ones. Um, is uh, Inside the Wild Heart, um, which was conceived by Andressa Ferletti and Deborah Ballardini, directed by Regina Miranda. Um, and it, it, it was an immersive, an immersive theatrical experience based on the works of Clarice Lispector. Um, Clarice Lispector is a, is, a, is a truly, deeply modern writer. She wrote mostly short stories. You can find these wonderful big collections of of her work. And this was an immersive, basically a fine arts piece based on her, not, I mean, based on her work. It, it sort of like immersed you in her work. There were characters who were, um, who were speaking lines from her work. Her work was projected all over. People were acting out scenes from her work, um, both in realistic and sort of deeply impressionistic ways. Um, it was performed both in Portuguese and in English. Um, and the thing that really, really struck me about it is that it's not just the piece. I mean, the piece was the piece was wonderful. What struck me about it was when I go to immersive theater pieces in New York City that are sort of big enough or promoted enough who that aren't super weird, you know, um, you can watch people who have been trained on how to experience immersive by um, uh, by uh, 
wow, I'm really tired. It's, it's okay. <laughs> wow. Um, watch them by, by, by like how they move or like the distance. No, the no. I mean, no. Um, not then she fell, but like the 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 A side of the old school immersive New York City album. Right. Um, Punch drunk. Sleep no more. That's how tired I am, Noah. (laughs) Oh my god, that's what it was? That's how tired I am. (laughs) That's how long of two weeks it's been. Um, You are, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Wow. That's okay. You're you're, you're getting getting raw Amsbury, um, which is a dish best served cold. Um, (laughs) I love how punchy we are. I should have had a beer. We could we could be we could be on a very good wavelength if I had had that beer. Oh man! So so when you know like when I go to something like Grand Paradise, dude, and you watch people who clearly have been trained on how to do immersive work. They they follow the character. You see people trailing behind. You know, people sort of try and position themselves so they can get their little one on one. You know, um, but generally when I go to really weird stuff or when I go to fine arts immersives. Which, I mean, generally, they don't even call them fine arts immersive. People are not behaving that way. People are, they're gallery goers, you know, or they're, they're um, avant-garde dance goers. And this is the first time, and it's happened a couple other times, but this is, the most, this is the most intense time. It's just happened in the past few months. These people treat this immersive fine arts piece with the same training, like they were following characters, they were trying to get one-on-ones. It was really weird. It was like, it was like because um, um, it 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 had somehow brought in the broader immersive audience. Um, and I met a couple of people there who who had gone because they'd seen it in No Pro, and um, it was interesting. It created a very different vibe. It was it 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 was. It was one of the first fine arts immersive pieces I've been to that, I don't know, there was a certain kind of um, engage, a, an, an understanding of the vocabulary of what they were doing, at least on the immersive side, um, that brought a real uh, energy to the piece. And I think, I think it really exposed some fine arts people to more mainstreamy immersive stuff, which is a weird thing to say, but it's totally true. Um, and vice versa, you know. I mean, this. I mean, this piece was much more. Um, um, it had no narrative whatsoever. I mean, you know, Sleep No More had a narrative compared to this thing. Um, it was very, very, very early, edgy, modern with a contemporary, postmodern vibe to it. Um, and it was really interesting. It was just I, I, I spent so much time just watching the audience work because I was just shocked at how sleep no mori they were all behaving you know yeah it can be one of my favorite things to do is to go to a show for a second time mm. and watch the audience oh yeah and like just like see if it's connecting with people and every audience is going to be different and yet if the show is framed solidly enough it should sort of teach the audience how and that's the fascinating thing it teaches the audience how they're supposed to either consume or interact with the work and it can be such a joy to see the audience discover that for the first time yeah um it can also be frustrating to watch an audience like kind of be clueless and daft and i think i've i think my experience second time in sleep no more was really a a, there's a lot of you know some people were pros and other people were like 
clearly tourists who didn't know what they had stumbled into right. and were, were kind of just like, how do we get out of here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trapped with a bunch of dancers in a box and I can't, no one's, everything looks the same because everyone's wearing a mask and like they seem really sad. Um, I was having a ball, but they were, they were, they seemed to be frustrated. So, okay. What's the, uh, here we go. So What's the big one. So the, the thing one? that, so, well, so paradoxically, um, uh, the last piece I want to talk about is the unseen and, and to be frank, like I really loved the unseen so much. Um, and it's a, it's a site, it's a site specific dance place, dance piece that takes place in Fort Tryon. Um, I spoke to the artistic directors, um, in one of the previous podcasts and it is, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece. The way they used the, um, the environment was really clever and instinctive and thoughtful. Um, and the way they approached, it was a, it was a, uh, an approach to telling the story of the Salem witch trials from a very interesting, unique uh, point of view that I hadn't seen before. And then talking to the artistic, this was done by Linked Dance Theater, did the unseen um, around uh, Halloween. And talking to the artistic directors, Kendra Slack and Jordan Chalapeka, I am sure that I totally butchered that, Jordan, I'm sorry. Um, talking to them was so wonderful because I feel like they're the first younger people that I've talked to who are the chill, like the true children of this last generation, the sort of dusty old sleep no more than she fell world. Um, not to call it dusty or old, but it's kind of dusty and old. Um, and these are artists who have digested them. They've, they've digested them and brought them into their own DNA, and I've I've been waiting to see this in some way, and it happens in like little threads here and there. Mm -hmm. But I think for me, since dance is the thing that I kind of love the most, to see a dance company really take on the lineage of of Third Rail and use immersive techniques that they have learned and absorbed through. Um, through other immersive work, um, Kendra worked with uh, Punch Drunk also, um, is just so great. And hearing them talk about their ideas and what they want to do and where they've come from, um, it just made me so excited. Because um, I, I have to admit, I, I sort of hit, I don't know, not not like a stasis point, but I felt like I hadn't, I, I didn't, I couldn't see, I, I could only see a congealing, you know what I mean? I could only see like, mm -hmm approaches and techniques and ways of doing things sort of reaching a kind of a kind of stasis point which is fine because like I really like to see it and certainly like the companies that I have loved are still evolving um, but they're evolving from like you know an earlier point in time um, but talking with Kendra and Jordan and looking at what Link Dance Theater is doing and have done and plan to do um, has me very very excited about where things can go in New York City, um, and I can't wait to see where they go next as a pure um, narrative-oriented immersive dance theater company, which is a very, very rare entity even in New York City. It makes me happy to hear that, and actually, you just 
you just sharpened up some kind of floaty thoughts that were in the back of my head about what I wanted to do when I kind of close out this episode. So like you, you, you made me realize about a conversation I had with some folks here where I could start to see some of that dynamic. But I'll save that for, for my closing segment. So everyone's going to have to stick around to see. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you once we stop recording uh, uh, it's to not be a terrible tease to you, but uh, everyone else is going to have to wait. Um, and so on that note... That's how you know you're in with Noah when he, he gives up the goods before he has to. Mm-hmm, pretty much. <laughs> This is Andrew Hoffner from New York. My favorite immersive moment of the year was at a show called You Are Nowhere, also possibly pronounced You Are Now Here, by Andrew Schneider. In this one-man show, about halfway through, the curtain behind the performer covering the back wall of the stage drops, revealing a giant mirror. And you watch the performance a few more moments and maybe you wave your hand, you realize, no, that's not a mirror, maybe that's a video screen, and a few more moments go by and you realize, no, that's actually a second audience and a second performer. So you start to think, how does that work? Have they been here the whole time? Have they been seeing a duplicate performance? How did those performances sync up? Wouldn't we have heard them? Eventually the audiences are asked to stand up, switch sides, the curtain slowly goes back up, moments later it drops, and the other audience has vanished. Once again, that was Andrew Hoffner, the creator of Houseworld and one of the co-creators of Whisper Lodge in New York City. Uh, if you want to find out more about Andrew's shows, uh, type those words into your Google. And if you want to find out what we've said about the shows, type those words into your Google and add no proscenium to that Google typing. It's okay. We all do it. Next up, a note sent in from one of the friends of the show and one of our friends in real life, Dana Lurie Shaw. Um, I'm going to read it so you won't hear her voice. You're just going to hear my voice. Here it is. I find myself fascinated and drawn in any time I'm offered food in the context of an immersive show. Thinking specifically of And the Drum, which had a dinner party and an impromptu cookies and booze on the roof. It makes me feel like an immersive theater Persephone. Great note from Dana. I actually saw that show with her, so I know exactly what she's talking about, like literally the exact moments. All right. Next up, a run of audio notes from friends of the show, starting with Miles Nye, who is one of the wise guys of Wise Guys events here in Los Angeles. Take it away, Miles. Hey, Noah. A highlight of 2016 was getting to be a guest on your podcast. Sorry to brown nose, but it really was. Uh, I want to thank the whole No Proscenium community who came to support the Heritage Scare. And uh, my own uh, top experience for the year, I think, was uh, out of the 50 or so room escapes that I did this year, uh, I think I got to recommend Evil Genius Escapes, uh, Chapter 1, Occam's Apartment. If you like room escapes, check this one out. A group of three is a good fit. And uh, enjoy. Thanks, everybody. Hi, my name is Adina Cohen. I've got two awesome experiences from immersive theater this year. One, delusion, when I got thrown in a coffin and became a vampire's plaything. 
Totally didn't want to have a one-on-one, but I did anyway, and it was fascinating. Two, barbershop. I forgot it was an immersive. I just started just trying to help the guy, and that to me was... I'm still pondering about that experience because I think forgetting that you're in a story, in a performance, is key to really being present. But yeah, so those are mine. Bye. Hi, this is Mike from My Haunt Life, and I couldn't decide on my one favorite immersive moment this year, so I'm going to give you a quick three. Uh, The first one is from Johnny the Shell from the Speakeasy Society, the the closet guy. Uh, We talked about that a bunch, and that instantly comes to mind. Um, The second was in the Gates of Hell in Las Vegas from Freakling Brothers uh, when I was carried and smashed into the electrical chains, and I forgot who I was and where I was uh, based on that moment and being in that scene. And then finally, uh, my probably one of my top moments of all time was the blood shower in the tension experience. And that last voice you heard is indeed Mike from the My Haunt Life podcast. You can check out My Haunt Life at myhauntlife.com. Next on the show, uh, we're going to talk to Dean, our man in Chicago, and check in with his adventures in the Windy City and beyond. Hey, Dean. Hey, Noah. How are you? I'm good. So um, I'm asking everybody, like, what what their immersive highlights for 2016 were, and I'm I'm wondering what yours were. Well, I would say here in Chicago, the highlight of the year was Learning Curve at the Albany Park Theater Project with uh, Third Rail Productions. Um, so I, I think he- heads above um, everything else and kind of, for me, um, I think the, the one of the most exciting combinations of immersive techniques along with subject matter that just dovetail together in a beautiful way. And they, Third Rail does such lovely work in general, and then the idea of them doing work with high school students at a high school is just kind of mind-blowing to me yeah it was great and and i think it was great for for albany park theater project and and their mission and kind of bringing that audience face to face um with um a community that that kind of people know theoretically but sitting in a room and having a conversation um, with those students and seeing them in the moment, I think made people really think about what is life like um, for students in the Chicago public schools. Uh, I think that's such an awesome thing that we, you know, immersive is still so experimental and people are still so focused on finding an audience for it and honing the craft and how we can make money. And there's a project where it's doing like the good work that theater should be doing, which is having people connect with communities they they don't normally connect with. Yeah, and I think it really did a great job of, you know, a lot of people dismiss immersive as just, you know, kind of being fun and adrenaline and, you know, that can't, you know, can it really be thoughtful? Um, and I think this really showed the, the kind of range of, of work that's potential as, as the form matures. Yeah, that's, it, I'm jealous. I'm, I'm straight up jealous. It's true. Um, <laughs> what you, you've been traveling a bit too. Um, what, what else have, what else have you uh, encountered this year? That's uh, 
sending your immersive spidey senses. Well, I, I, you know, I, I, as, as you say, traveling, I did just get back from an intensive research um, visit to Orlando um, and um, looking at what's going on there and kind of looking at immersive theater on the grand commercial scale um, and certainly spent um, several days playing with Harry Potter um, and kind of looking at the brilliance of how they've turned that into a, a large-scale event, um, as well as looking at some of the stuff that's going on in, in, in Walt Disney World. And, and so that was um, kind of fascinating to see how the techniques um, get broken down in, into a, a scale that, that works there. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, at, at Walt Disney World, they have this um, Enchanted Tales with Belle thing, which is kind of, I guess you'd call it an enhanced meet and greet. Um, but it was fascinating to watch these, you know, little kids going to meet Belle kind of through this super hyped up environment that the Walt Disney madness is. Um, in Orlando, and then breaking that down into these, you know, taking through these transitions and in the story to get these kids calmed down and having these kind of amazing, genuine moments with an actress playing Belle. Oh, wow. um, although I'm sure it's the real Belle. Um, well, of course it's I shouldn't real say Belle. it's an actress. No. Um, you have to put a warning on this. Yeah. Uh, and, and but but just taking that kind of insane scale and breaking it down to a one-on-one -on -one gentle moment um, for 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 kids was kind of fascinating to see. So 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 like they because you know, and the meet and greets are, are, are a Disney tradition, uh, but it's usually just stand in this line in in I always think of like Mickey's Toontown uh, in. in at Disneyland in Anaheim and there's a line uh, as you go into from Mickey's house into sort of the studio barn and it is, you know, it's, it's decorated, it's themed, but it's mostly a, a queue line of inanimate objects with a few things that kids can pull on. So on a really busy day, the kids uh, can spend some of their energy out is this like that or is it a little more? In no, it's way more because, you know, in that you kind of turn the corner and you smash and you're face to face with Mickey and you either love it or kids scream and cry um, <laughs> at, at, at the cry. shock. No. Um, and this they take you through, you go through Belle's house, you, you um, go into a room and they break you down into a group, I guess, of about 20 um, and you go through this magic mirror into this room where you prepare to meet Belle. And it's, I forget, it's the anniversary of the day she came to the castle or something like that. Wow. So they cast all of the kids in roles in the story and rehearse this presentation they're going to surprise Belle with when she oh my arrives. God. Um, and so the kids have things to do and they take on different characters and there's this kind of amazing... Um, um, Lumiere animatronic figure that that um, that um, talks to the kids along with the live actors, and so they rehearse oh this, God. and then we all get quiet. Belle comes through the door in her beautiful golden dress, um, and we all surprise her, and then the kids act out this story for her and with her. Oh my God. Um, and then when that's done, she thanks everyone, and then they all have a chance to come up and have a moment with her while the Disney photographers click away. And then they give you a little card, 
um, and as you leave, and then you can download and purchase your photos. Um, so you know there's there are ulterior motives involved, oh, yeah. um, but but kind of spectacular in seeing the the way in which the emotional moment can be transformed um, within this you know massive machine that you break it down to this nice quiet little one-on-one um, yeah. play moment and i think that you know similarly that you know the harry potter world um in you know the, the way they interact with you there um and bring you into the game um is is really fascinating when that you know the first time you use your credit card and they ask you to sign the receipt for the ministry of magic um, you know, you kind of go, ooh, I get to play along. Yeah. Um, and, and the whole magic wand thing where you see guests helping each other figure out how to cast spells to make the magic happen. Um, so it, it moves from this, you know, industrial-sized project into people actually talking and having conversations and, and interacting with each other. Yeah, they're creating a space for interaction. Yeah, and, and yeah. So, so much of this work overall is about creating a space for interaction and yeah. the terms, and setting people up to play different roles and to see and to see the big entertainment companies, you know, being very conscious of that and and lining it up is is kind of exciting. Um, and there's a lot of lessons there to be learned. Yeah, so it's interesting. There's a, you know, there's clearly a back and forth going on between, you know, the, the, the end of immersive theater that we spend most of our time nosing around in um, and what's going on in, in the commercial level. Um, yeah. and, and kind of, I think there are things that, that um, each end can learn from the other about how to, to use the techniques effectively. Well, that's fantastic, Dean. That's a, that, I think that's a great place for us to to take our our, our, our bow out on 2016 uh, to see the the full continuity. And I think when when we add everybody up together, you know, Albert and me and Zay and you, we're going to have this like really wonderful mosaic of uh, of what's going on out there. Cool. Hello, this is Sag from San Francisco, and this is my 2016 Immersive Design Memory of the Year. So this year, I decided for my birthday party to really make a big show of it, and I am a member of the Ratskiller Club in San Francisco, and decided to rent out the space to throw a birthday party and immersively designed uh, entrance to the party. Now, I won't go into all the details of the actual entrance into the party. But needless to say, I uh, went to even the extent of making bag strip cards so that people could gain access into the space uh, and invited people to go through an adventure. But that's not quite why this is the most important memory of the year. While I was setting all this up, my girlfriend Beverly had other plans for my party and uh, once everyone was in, uh, and a little later into the event, she decided to change the party from a birthday party into an engagement party. Get you someone that can take your immersively designed birthday party and change it to an engagement party. 
Thank you, everyone, and have a wonderful year. And I just need to thank Seg, who you just heard, who he's been helping out as we uh, launch the Slack channel, which if you want to get on, uh, just email us, no underscore proscenium at outlook.com, and we'll take care of that. Uh, he's been doing little things here and there for everybody. It's uh, it's quite a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's slow going at first, but it's the holidays. It's slow going. Um, here's another one that folks sent in for me to read. This is from uh, DJ Quincy. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. I'm pretty sure I am. Um, here we go. Single best immersive moment of 2016 was hands down being buried, quote unquote, at Bardo Thodal that took place during Midsummer Scream. The setup and the sound design really lent itself to a most unnerving and thought-provoking experience. Although I knew I was perfectly safe, it evoked a lot of strong and difficult emotions to ponder. Fantastic work. Thank you, DJ Quincy. Um, here is another audio message sent in, this time by uh, Nick Reinwald Jones, who is one of the uh, one of the bigger backers of the show, one of our bigger Patreons, uh, patrons. Patreons is the name of the site. Patreon. Ugh. Patrons of the show. Uh, take it away, Nick. So the experience that really sums up for me what the magic of immersive theater is was my very first experience, which was going into Then She Fell and being brought upstairs along with just some other random guy from the audience, uh, brought into a patient room. The white queen is there. She says, both of you lay down on the bed and close your eyes, and I'm going to read you a bedtime story. And that was the moment where my just kind of brain exploded, and I realized, okay, I'm just in this world that I have no idea what to expect. And it's incredible and a little bit scary and uncomfortable, but in good ways. And I think that was, that was just the moment where my mind was blown open. Noah, hey, it's Abel Horwitz. Um, highlights of 2016, I would say the Drunken Devils Lenfer party uh, this summer was outstanding. And then um, anything that Screenshot did that I got to check out was wonderful. Delusion, as always, is, is a highlight. And then going to Santa Fe and checking out Meow Wolf. Uh, can a show be immersive? Can it even be a show if there's no actors? Anyways, it, it's very worth you, the time to get out to Santa Fe to check it out. And really, on a personal note, I did 11 serial killer speed dating productions this year. Um, I'm very proud of that. So I worked hard and then uh, uh, helped put together Urban Death, Tour of Terror. So, so I worked hard and I saw some good shows. Um, uh, I love that thing that you do to me that we're not supposed to talk about publicly. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Hello, this is Russell from the My Haunt Life podcast. For highlights of the immersive experiences this year, man, uh, listening to Mike's suggestions, I I agree. His highlights are awesome. Um, immediately one comes to mind, and that's in Speakeasy Society's Johnny the Shell. I was standing alone in this room in a, in a voice weakly called to me from beyond a door and I, I opened the door to find this bound wounded soldier who I interacted with and he, he told me the value of my life and about the collateral damage of war. It, it was an amazing sequence, uh, truly one of the high points. Uh, also, um, this is the wilderness, the day shall declare it. 
uh, that show began for me with a, a gentleman approaching me in a bar saying he'd been waiting for me. And the next thing I knew, he was rolling me around in an office chair explaining to me the history of his family. I drank with him and he told me about uh, his past and then he gave me this small toy that represented his past. It was an intimidating, just thrilling sequence. I, I absolutely loved it. And truly one of the greatest high points for me was inside the Tension Experience Ascension when I was led with a hood over my head into a room and the hood was pulled away, and there was a room full of people staring at me. It was explained to me that I had been a part of this this event and what I meant to the people in that room, and then they turned it back on me, and they demanded that I explain to them what this event meant to me. Uh, it was an incredibly emotional moment, and... Uh, one of the highlights of, of the entire year for me. Also, Shine On Collective, uh, their show Devoted was so, uh, it, it was just so moving. And even though it was extremely disturbing, I participated in the death of someone. They put a weapon in my hand and, and that was insanely disturbing and strangely moving. And uh, that was a heck of a show. Now, since I am a part of the My Haunt Life podcast, I, I have to give at least one scary moment, uh, and that's uh, from the Freakling Brothers in Vegas. Uh, inside the gates of hell, I was suddenly grabbed from behind and dragged, kicking and screaming backwards for an incredibly long distance, and then turned around, and in front of me, there was this large man in a complete hazmat suit with rubber gloves and he was standing there ready to catch me because I was about to be thrown toward him. It was a thrilling, terrifying moment. It was so awesome. As far as the horror stuff goes, definitely a highlight. Uh, it's been a really good immersive year. There have been lots and lots of truly intimate, uh, extremely thrilling moments in in multiple genres. Uh, it's It's been a good year. And indeed, that last segment is from Russell of My Haunt Life. And again, uh, love those guys. Uh, there's a very large episode of their show that is in the works uh, that's got me on it. Um, if you want to check that out, or if you want to check any of their work out, um, go to myhauntlife.com. They have that wonderful calendar of events here in the Southland. Now, our last big segment before we get to my segment of the show um, is going to be with our man in San Francisco, Albert Kong, uh, who's just been holding it down on many fronts this year. Let's go, Albert. I'm asking people what their uh, fondest immersive memories are this year. And you, you've had a number of them. So maybe you could uh, wax poetic for a minute here. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of my favorite things, uh, I mean, there are so many, right? Uh, and, and I think um, the the uh, re-emergence of the speakeasy was really fun, really amazing. Um, I got a chance to see it finally uh, last week. And it was just uh, really cool for me to be able to see the speakeasy again, it being the first thing uh, in the immersive genre um, 
I mean, in terms of the theater side of things that I had seen um, uh, back way back in 2013. So it's really exciting for me to see that come up. Um, it took them a little bit to uh, to get up and running, but uh, from from all accounts. Um, uh, of my friends uh, who are on the inside, uh, everything's uh, moving really smoothly, and uh, and from what I can see, when I went, it was a really beautiful piece. Um, I love I love that you have friends on yeah. the inside. It's like we're a spy <laughs> network, right? We kind of are. We <laughs> yeah, we kind of we kind of are a spy network. We're trying you know? to blow the lines, right? We're trying to like be on both sides of it, which is I guess what immersive theater is about. <laughs> you know, there's some, there's something to that, right? And like, and yeah. I think what's good is that sometimes we're there's enough of us that we can kind of take on very different roles and very different perspectives yeah. and and I, sometimes i you know it's weird because like i'll do criticism on stuff and uh, you know there there's plenty of people out there who they get a they get it stuck in their craw like they hate critics they hate the idea of criticism because uh-huh. uh-huh. like they don't understand its purpose like right i mean i, I dealt with it the entire time i was in in theater training you know you you take your notes you know and like your notes are that's what that person sees and uh it's it's a diagnosis it's a calibration um yeah uh, this this has been on my mind a lot lately because like people people, you know the star wars movie just came out and everyone's it's like a rorschach (laughs) test for people and like it's really strangely polarizing for a lot of stuff but my favorite thing Mm -hmm. was that nick lasalle uh who's the chronicle sf chronicles film critic um he hates it and the thing is, is that Mick LaSalle and I always disagree on movies. And, <laughs> and I'm just like, and, and it actually was reassuring to me. I looked at Rotten Tomatoes and I saw that he hated it. I was like, oh, good. Um, uh, my, the fact that I liked it makes sense because Mick hated it. So <laughs> it's like such a great diagnostic tool. Um, and so the speakeasy, you got to, yeah. to see that in its, in its full glory. Yeah. Um, um, another thing, you know, we're talking about... Um, uh the uh let me like get back on track it was uh it was about like kind of being on both sides of it right for me um i had a chance this year to work uh to work with we players uh on their uh sort of their site specific interactive romeo and juliet piece um and uh and you know getting to really work closely on a big production um uh, uh, of their scale uh for for months and really see how theater works on the inside like I think, like for me, I have this this weird perspective, uh, making a lot of really interactive stuff and making games, um, and participatory art, but not having been in the uh, theater scene for uh, you know, like for for uh, my education, for my training, in uh, in this kind of uh, this kind of scene, and it was really great to be able to see that and explore how um, how all of that fits together and um and it was awesome to see how they kind of adapted as they looked for their spaces and tried to scout their locations and uh, and build their show um to watch how they were incorporating their assessment of how the audience interacts and how everything builds up um and i think one thing that that i was thinking while i was a part of this is that um what immersive theater allows us to do is it allows for the audience to step past that line and really like have some of the experience that the creators get to have uh, in terms of you know exploring themselves within the context of the work in terms of being a real part of the space 
and um, and you know one of the things that that I felt really strongly about uh, about being uh, the assistant stage manager at this uh, We Players show was that I wanted everyone to be able to have the experience of being a part of the development of a show like I did, you know, getting to watch the actors build their characters, maybe being an actor themselves. Um, and I think what we're doing in the immersive theater scene is giving people a chance to get just a little bit closer to that. Maybe ultimately, like, it's all going to be about everyone just making a lot of, like, work and being really a part of every show. But uh, but there's something really special about that. I think that's so dead on. I mean, when I talk to people, uh, I'll talk to patrons, I'll, I'll talk to actors. And one thing I always come back to, a joke line I come back to is that, you know, going to an immersive theater show, it's cheaper than taking a scene study class. Because the the moments that stand out for me in any given piece are often when I I feel like I just performed a great scene with a with an actor who's better than me, which was always something in my training and in the shows that I did that were the wonderful moments. And those were the moments that I felt I grew the most as a person and as a performer mm -hmm. was when I was paired off with someone who was better and I I raised up to their level. Um and and occasionally when like it was like the reverse or if I was like teaching actors, you know, there there you, there's still room for growth there. It's not it's not fully a one way street. Um, thank God for that. Um, but it, it's definitely, I don't know. It's 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 a real. It's it's a critical part of it is that co creation, um, yeah. and I think there's a lot of room, a lot of room in both worlds, for that, that kind of thing. Let's let's take the temperature of the Bay Area. So how do you feel the, the sort of the state of the union is up there? Because one, I, I just want to say thank you for, for taking on no pro up there this past year. And I'm so glad you stuck around after six months and, and I'm so glad you're still hanging tough with us because yeah. it's been invaluable to have someone on the ground up there. It was, it was so rough to try and run it by remote and just have no sense of, of what people were really into and what, what our options were. And now I feel like we've got this really good sense of what's going on up there, the flavor of the Bay Area, which is so different from LA or New York. And yet at the same time, we have, you know, We Players is going strong. We've got Epic Immersive is, is dropping stuff left and right these days, it seems. Uh, it it uh -huh. looks like, from what I can tell, that Screenshot, who are one of our local groups down in L.A., who, the, the founders of which have moved yeah. to the Bay Area, their website has a picture of the Transamerica Pyramid, um, <laughs> like, viewed from the, like viewed up from the ground up, and, like, a date on their website right now. So I think they're going to do something up there um, next month. So it's really – but I don't know for certain. i got to reach out to them. Um, but, <laughs> but just from a distance, it feels like things are starting to pop. How does it feel to you? Um, it feels like – you know, it feels like the idea of what immersive can be is really starting to take off. Um, and also at the same time, the people who are going to be participating in this and the people who aren't really um, as – maybe stuck on uh, on theater as a traditional form and willing to explore are, are coming out of the woodwork a little bit more. And I've talked about this last year too, where like, you know, it felt like um, 
what was underground was going to uh, to emerge uh, and surface, and it's totally happening in a lot of ways. Um, one, you know, of course, I think immersive theater is just like hot in um, in theater and performance in general. So a lot of people are going to be working in that direction. People who are interested in theater and experimental theater um, are going to be, you know, exploring what immersive uh, theater can do for their work. Uh, but at the same time, I think this idea of creating something that people step into, a world where, um, where the action or just the context is taking place all around them, is showing up in uh, in you know it's crossing media right it's uh, it's showing up in in all sorts of things I mean we already have like this term uh, immersive as like a workshop training format but you're also seeing it in um, in um, like all sorts of places like you know the uh, the David Byrne show in uh, in the Pace Gallery right now down in Stanford is uh, is exploring the concept of neuroscience and uh, and uh, psychology and the experiments in a in a immersive way they uh, they worked with epic immersive to uh, to cast their show they're kind of partnering on that but i think all these uh, all these artists and all these uh, industries that maybe formerly focused on product are now focusing on the idea of immersive experience and that's showing up in in so many different ways and it's just like very clear that this is a cultural force now it is something that is in the zeitgeist that people are going to have more powerful experiences more um meaningful and memorable um associations with the work whatever it is um if they get a chance to step inside of it if they get a chance to hold it and touch it and move it and play with it and you know this is happening everywhere and and you can see it in the in mm -hmm. uh, all over the bay area and i'm sure everywhere else too yeah no i think that's i think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of where the compass is pointing to and there are there are moments these days where I I worry a little bit that we've got this um, this over reliance on the the VR side to sort of define what immersive is, and that we're we're running up against the possibility of um, the the headset sales sort of um, making it seem like it's a fad when in reality what we're watching is a, a very large paradigm shift. Um, in terms of how we how we think about media, which really we've been part of since the internet broke, and this is all just increasingly, in some ways, a reaction, uh, both both positive and antagonistic towards the realities that the internet created. Yeah, so I, I totally agree. I think that um, that um this is just the way things are going to be now and i think that we uh we as a as a culture are looking for ways to be in our bodies and uh and really feel like you know what like who we are as individuals um matters in this uh, in this greater context of whatever we're uh, we're engaging with um in terms of like vr i, I don't think it's something that uh, even if it's if it feels like a fad, I don't think that's gonna break uh, the immersive quality of work outside of it. Uh, but I, th I think maybe I wonder if you're are you speaking to the uh, fear that 
VR feeling like a fad is going to break VR itself? Yeah, I, th- I think that, and and I and for the record, like I don't think VR is a fad. I think that, I think that the the expectations of the mainstream press that either the Oculus that the Oculus Rift was going to be the next iPhone was always the problem. Yeah. Um, and when when in truth, like the the HMDs, they're they're a, a brand new display technology. And mm-hmm. we're kind of at the beginning of a of the the PC era all over again, or yeah. you know more recently, like the beginning era of the smartphone. You know, everyone right. had a BlackBerry or like all these experiments. Like the iPhone version of this is coming, but what what freaks me out in my worst moments, what freaks me out is that you know the, the word immersive is is linked to that, and so many people because it feels hot want to use immersive, and then. But the, the 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 work that is really great in immersive has been experienced by so few people, and whether that's uh. in live action or you know, virtually distributed, and so people encounter something that's not that great, and they go like, "Oh, this is just a fad. This is just a buzzword," and it's like, "Yeah, you encountered something that wasn't exactly right." Um, yeah, but I think I think um, this is what every new medium goes through right oh, like yeah. you can probably look oh, back yeah. at any at any point in history and you can talk about television or radio or or movies or or anything that's new and for a period people are going to have trouble catching on yeah i just think we, we've as a culture we're so impatient and you see that in everything from our our food to our politics we uh, are generally unwilling to wait for satisfaction. It's we've, in, we've increasingly gotten faster. And what's really interesting to me about immersive as a uh, on the, the the performance side is that you do have to wait, and it's very much embodied, and it very much happens in time. And when it's working, time sort of feels like it gets suspended. It becomes timeless. Um, which, you know, any great piece of art can do the same thing, kind of like throws you out of normal temporal reality. Like you, you're reading a novel and suddenly you look up and it's been like four hours and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. Or you're playing a video game or you're watching a movie and you say that was two hours or that was an hour and a half. Like if it's working, it's mojo, you lose all sense of time. And in my best experiences of the year, I've definitely had that sense of like, I have no idea how much time just passed. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are things that people have to, you know, experience for themselves yeah hopefully you know the the fad feeling of it or you know the trend of it like the excitement around it the buzz around all this stuff is going to give people the patience to try to explore these things and go into the spaces that they might not be so comfortable with yet and then they'll you know um allow themselves to experience the power that that it can have and then hopefully it can as well teach people um a sense of patience perhaps willingness to wait whatever it is it has that power right it has so much power um and that leads to another thing that i want to talk about second um is a couple weeks ago the adventure design group which is a a um, meetup here in the bay area where a lot of people who make this kind of immersive or adventure or uh, or whatever you want to call it participatory performance stuff um 
we get together and usually Gabe brings together a speaker and we, you know, have a, have a little, um, uh, lecture and, uh, and maybe build an experience into that. And then, um, and it's a, it's been a great place for people to kind of meet up, um, find collaborators, explore the art and kind of take a step into, uh, the world. Um, but a couple weeks ago, you know, right after the election, um, or on the heels of it anyway, uh, there was something that was, I think, in the minds of uh, of everyone is like, what is our role now, right? Like, what is our role in this world, where um, where you know, we have we may have been so focused on our own uh, our own lives and our own work that we're that that we might not have been doing things to express our our principles in a, in America where uh, where Trump could be elected, um, and so. Adventure Design Group got together and had a session where we were discussing what what is our role, what can we do um, uh, with the power that uh, that uh, making games and theater and uh, and immersive participatory work, um, what can we what can we do together? And we had this discussion on it, and there was a really strong um, energy in the room, um, and a lot of people who were looking to uh to create this stuff and i think that i think that's going to uh show up in 2017 as well in the bay area as the results the uh the fruits of all these uh all these creators exploring what this kind of work immersive participatory can do for uh for the for broader values and broader missions outside of uh of the specifics of uh uh, of and, and the personal that art can do. What else has been on your mind this year? Uh, so some of the really great things that have been happening, I guess I've been saying that a lot. Um, so I'm seeing immersive uh, work cross into different genres as well in terms, like I think all these things that we're, um, that we're excited about that can sometimes take distinct categories are coming together a little bit more as well so even like the the lines between uh forms and, and media are bringing together more collaborations and more um more uh, integration between between work um specifically this year we had both the come out and play festival which is a games festival and in former years really focused on work that was um you might call it uh, a formalist in uh, in terms of games, but basically works that that was very playful, entertaining, and about winning as a uh, as a sort of fundamental condition of what what is considered um, in the festival. And this year, you know, they opened up a lot. Uh, they went out and reached out to a lot of different people who were creating things that were interactive, and brought all of that in under the umbrella of come out and play. Uh, and included several pieces that were just um, that were that were interactive, but not on the level of uh, that that you might call a game. So they're ex- uh, they're they're exposing the rest of their audience to all of the things that feel connected. You know, when we talk about immersive, uh, they sh- uh, come out and play managed to uh, curate a really amazing selection. Um, and if you look back at some of our archives in the San Francisco list, you'll see uh, a bunch of that. Um, that, as well as the the City Lights Bookstore 100 Years of Dada Festival that had just two weeks full of work um, that was very much 
in the realm of uh, of you know step into a world where everything is weird and different um and that that was uh for me you know as a a first time seeing uh seeing a really strong um you know fully built out piece by the cacophony society which is a uh, a san francisco institution you know and yeah i i gotta because i'm um like you know being part of this uh scene here I, I was able to step behind the scenes kind of work with uh work with some of the uh the old members there and it was a really amazing experience well that is getting a chance to work with the cacophony society that's got to be totally rad because yeah their their influence over over everything from you know burning man to june uh they're just they're seminal um like underplays it they're practically the uterus of bay area weirdo art um like the womb uh, i mean you know yeah Grand suicide Kate definitely but yeah it's definitely um a a strong um it was like they, they were a generation of this kind of stuff here exactly what else what else has been uh catching your eye so I've been talking about uh, about LARP for a long time, and uh, and I mentioned it last year as something that I was really excited about. And this year, um, uh, I went to the Big Bad Con, which is a uh, a role playing game and LARP conference that happens in the Bay Area. It happens every year. It's been going on for about five years, and I got a chance to step into that world a little bit more and play some of those uh, some of the games that were. Um, or you know, it's just some of the live-action role-playing games that were that were exploring um, the breadth of what power that scene can have. Um, one was a game called uh, The Line by Jason Morningstar, and in this game, uh, we're playing characters in a sci-fi parable of the uh, the Syrian refugee crisis. And we're, you know, refugees trying to get off planet. Um, and it was just a really powerful way to explore this um, this issue, right? Like where we get to step in the shoes of these uh, of, of these characters, and we get to kind of create characters that that um, that feel powerful to us, experiencing um, the the crises that of uh, of someone else. And, um, and I think, like, as an empathy builder. It was a really strong, um, strong showing. More important than that, though, I think, like, well, on the level, right? Um, another another thing that I saw at this conference was just the the powerful community that they had built there. It's a really warm, um, a warm, empathetic, really compassionate group of players and creators who um, who, through the nature of uh, of I think how LARP works, because it's so important to uh, foster relationships between players and um, and build a strong community there. Their uh, sense of community was uh, was um, phenomenal. Uh, it was it was really cool to to be a part of that scene for a moment. That's great. The the one the one you mentioned about the sci-fi version of the Syrian refugee crisis, like that sounds very Nordic LARP to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, like and and there's there's a there there's a level where you can kind of go like, well, is is that sort of insensitive, you know? Like and and I, I think there's definitely I get conscious, even self conscious sometimes of you know from the outside someone might look at something like that and perceive people making light 
of something very serious. Uh, there was an incident that happened. I was at one of the immersives down here, and uh, a homeless person took offense at the production design of a piece that was out in the wild. And we, we actually got, he mistook me for the director, so we wound up in an argument. Um, this was just a few days after the election when everything was really charged. Um, so I knew, and he was also inebriated, but, uh, you know, I could tell his perspective was definitely not invalid. It was also not the entire, um, it wasn't everything that was going on. And I think one of the core values I feel in immersive as an art form, if you can speak of an art form having core values, um, it's that perspective is one of the mediums and the idea that any single perspective is valued over any other perspective um, immersive often puts the lie to that it's just it's like it's just it's Rashomon effect all the way yeah. down because the oftentimes the most dynamic thing about a piece is when you step outside of the piece and your friends meet up and they start talking about oh, you saw this, oh, I saw this, and the story begins to unfold in a, in a greater way. And the same is true in in the perception of a Nordic LARP. From the outside, like, wait, people are playing a game about, and then you go, well, they're exploring the issues. And... Yeah, I mean, that's the, sorry, uh, that's the, you know, in, um, that's part of the the work, right? Is that there because yeah. we are giving the audience so much more space and so much more room to explore. We're also taking a lot more responsibility in. I mean, and not just like in terms of um, of subject matter, but also in terms of emotional safety and physical safety. We have to uh, we have yeah. to work a lot harder to figure out what we are, uh, what we're doing, and what our audience is going to. Um, like how the audience is going to take it and, and, and provide safety for all of that. The safety thing is interesting because, you know, it's sort of like picking your battles on what's going to not be safe. Right. Cause like risk is sort of required either emotional or physical risk or whatever in order to have a, a real experience. But if you're putting, if, if you're asking, you know, participants to like risk life and limb, they aren't necessarily going to be opening up their heart to some other idea or some other perspective. They're going to be focused on, you know, not falling down and breaking their leg. Um, yeah. And I can speak to them from like actual experience of my own this year a few times where I'm just like, you know, I just don't trust that I'm not going to fall right here. And so I'm not, I'm not in the moment. I'm just worried about whether or not I'm going to trip. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, that's uh, the that's the line to draw, or to explore anyway. Yeah, exactly. All right, got anything else okay. in your magic bag there, Felix? Um, I think I'll leave it at that for now. Um, it's a lot of really interesting things going on. Um, so I think like you know, go back and for for all, any listeners if they go back and uh, listen to some of the. Uh, interviews you've had with other people in the uh, in the Bay Area um, and who have come to the Bay Area, they'll uh, get a sense of uh, the perspectives that are that are coming to the scene here. And um, you know, we'll keep uh, we'll keep broadcasting and uh, and sharing and um, sending out the mailing list in the Bay Area for uh, for 
the next year and we'll see what we have to uh, we'll see what comes up Once again, I need to thank all of the curators of the newsletters, all of the people who sent in messages uh, to the show this year. Um, 2016's, well, I'm of two minds about 2016. Because outside of our little bubble, um, it's been a difficult year for a lot of people on macro and micro levels. And I feel like I can't get through this part of the show without acknowledging that. Because there are moments when it feels slightly ridiculous, given all that goes on in the world, uh, to be so narrowly focused. That being said, if it were not for this community, and by that I mean the creators of immersive theater and the weirdos experimenting in the strangest forms of VR... And for all of you who are going to these shows and making it possible for this work to be made, and for that slice of you who listen to this insanity on a regular basis, of which there are an increasing number of you all the time, um, this year would have been an utter shit show. So thank you, and I thank you a million times, but I'm going to keep on doing it until I can't thank people anymore. Um, a day which will one day come. Um, that being said, first off, longtime listeners to the show know, and, and I brought this up last week that, um, you know, the, 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 the zenith of my year was definitely my trip to the grand paradise in New York city. Um, I waxed poetic on it so many times that I don't even want to get into it right now. Uh, if you haven't, encountered that part if you don't know what I'm talking about because somehow this is your first go round with the show then um, you should go and onto the medium collection medium.com slash no dash proscenium and read the review the highly highly subjective review of the grand paradise that I put up on there uh, I, I and I talked about it last week in our show with Juliet so there boom the next one I want to focus on is devoted. Um, the gals from shine on collective, you know, caught me by surprise with this piece, particularly with the full version of devoted, um, which just, just was amazing to be able to not only spend time with a character, but to wind up slipping into the skin of the character. Um, suddenly being endowed with who that character was and seeing the world through their eyes. That's a goal um, artistically, I feel, with this entire genre, um, whether it's in live immersive or it's in virtual immersive. The ability to put you in someone else's shoes, someone else's perspective, and, you know, I talk about this. This is something that happens in novels. It can happen in films. But there is a visceral nature to this work that those forms don't... I mean, it's almost like a cheat code. Like, 
immersive cheats. Immersive can really put you in a situation. And Devoted did that. And it was one of those things where, like, I nearly didn't get to see it. And sometimes that is that extra bit of spice that makes me more into a show. It seems to happen that way. That's the the odd coincidence on the shows I love the most. Um, I definitely don't plan it that way. It's just what happens. But I'm really looking forward to seeing what work comes out of, of them. And indeed, what's great, and there was an episode of the podcast where we, we talked, is that they are really learning from everyone. And they are... Um, this is this is one of the things that uh, came to mind when I was talking with Zay in our segment, is that it's almost like a magpie situation, and that there's a little bit of a little bit from here, a little bit from there, and there's an iterating on the work that's being done. It is very easy when something's as buzzworthy as immersive and is as hard to get into in terms of just physically getting there and having access as this to overlook the iteration that's going on in the craft as a whole. Um, It is real. It's happening. People are learning from each other. They're cross-pollinating at long last. And that was something that I, I so desperately wanted to see happen this year. It has begun. It has not happened to the degree to which I think it can, and we're gonna keep working on making that more and more of a of a reality. But it's so great to see this part of the work happening. And that means that new forms are getting discovered. So it's not just kind of running up into a standard form and like we've oh, we've found what it immersive is. It's this open frame idea that Michael Tara Garver has that it is a it is a process it is it is about the iteration of the work I keep saying that um but i think it's important that when we look at a form like this which is borrowing from so many other forms already from video games as well as theater from dance from music composition from live action games um that we're also borrowing the language of other arts and crafts uh in order to define how the nuts and bolts of this work. And that's something that we're going to be looking at more next year. We're going to do some episodes that are just about particular aspects of the craft. So we're going to get even nerdier, right? Right when we should probably try and get even more broad and 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 loop in other disciplines, which we will, um, and, and try and find famous people to come on the show, which maybe we will, um, in order to broaden the horizons for everyone. We're also going to go the other way and get even nerdier because we love it so. Now, the other thing I want to talk about in terms of best of 2016 is that as part of that process, I think that people are really starting to discover that the critical thing is setting up the conditions for experiences to emerge. I see that in the work that's being done by Capital W, where... Uh, the way Lauren and Monica are shaping conversations within the work. Um, I can see that, you know, that was definitely part of my experience with the Grand Paradise. Um, this, this work on setting psychological priming into the design itself so that you're getting people ready to have certain kinds of experiences. And then 
you're kind of giving them cues and letting them run with it. And whenever, whenever that kind of thing has happened, whenever the, the conditions for interaction have been made in that way, the experiences just seem to be even a greater rabbit hole to, to jump down into. And I'm seeing that kind of work happen with the Speakeasy Society, and I'm, I'm definitely seeing that kind of work happen on the haunt scene. And I think if we want to talk about where things are going, like what's the future of this stuff, which people ask me, and, and generally they really want like, well, how does this get stamped out as something that people can buy on a shelf? And the answer is this is about experiences. So the only thing that's going to get stamped out that you can buy on a shelf is going to look like an instruction manual for best practices on how to create your own immersive experiences like i'm gonna go full nerd here like the dungeons and dragons players and dungeon masters guide sitting on a shelf that's the thing that gets stamped out for everyone to consume because this is a creative medium first and foremost for both the artists and the audience we're making moments together just like we made a moment here today with our best of 2016 show the music for the show as always is by chris porter you can find us on twitter at no proscenium you can find us online in general at no that's where you can sign up for the newsletter and you get links to the medium collection where we put up our essays and reviews and there's links there to our patreon patreon.com slash no presidium where you can jump on this crazy train and help us um, make the show even better all the time as i mentioned at the top of the show we are at least going to have a news and notes segment next week and if i can snag someone over this holiday break uh, we will have a full episode but I just want to prepare you for the possibility that it'll be a mini-sode to start the year. We do have some wonderful interviews lined up in January already, so I think you're going to be very happy with what comes next. So, until next time, I'll see you at the show.